0: we're going to talk about something that is in short supply in our world, and it's not, a, it's not a commodity that the world deals in. The world does not deal in what we're going to talk about today. It's not easy to find what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you, All you have to do is turn on your TV and you'll know that what I'm talking about is true. We're going to talk about hope. Today, I like to start defining words, first of all, by our culture and our popular definitions, by what uh, our language says. And Merriam-Webster's Dex- Webster's Dictionary says, to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. So they define hope as wanting something to happen or be true. That's what they define hope as. Romans, chapter 5. Turn there with me. Romans, chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. Romans, chapter 5. How many of you remember that song from the 70s? Therefore, being justified by faith. In God we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Son of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given, which is given unto us, unto us, unto us. That song is written out of Romans 5. Join with me as we read in verse 1. Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience Hope And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even bear or dare to die. Father, we pray today that you would quicken and inspire within our hearts hope. Father, to know, Lord, that... Hope has a target. Hope works on what we focus on. So, Father, today, teach us what it means to hope, what it is we need to hope in, and to see, Lord, that hope, God, will carry us to heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope. I, uh, as I started looking through The definitions of hope from the Bible and from popular culture, from the English language, I came up with this acronym, and it really just is a full definition, I think, of not only hope but how it works. We're supposed to be holding on to promises expectantly, holding on to promises expectantly. See the Bible definition. The word "hope" in the New Testament is, if you're one who studies the Bible in this way, the Greek Strong's word is G- G1680. G1680. It is the most common word where we find, uh, most common Greek word that we find uh, for the English word "hope" in the King James. So when you see the word "hope" in the New Testament. More than likely, it is going to be this definition. And what the word in the Greek means, and it basically it means this. It means to expect. Hope, the Bible hope, the biblical hope that the apostles, the writers in the New Testament are talking about, and for that matter in the Old Testament, is really to have a desire with an expectation. See, this is biblical hope. This is godly hope. Now, how, how many of you have hopes? They have hopes, yes. Some of you have hopes that you can go to the convenience store and buy a lottery ticket. And that if you select the right numbers, that your ship will come in. But how many of you really tie with that hope expectancy? <laughs> Let's be honest. How many of you really expect to win when the odds are like one in... 300 billion or something like that. I don't know what they are. See, a lot of us hope that we can win the lottery. A lot of us hope that we can find our sugar daddy. That was for Kathy. (laughs) I preach one message a year just for Kathy. We hope we get that sugar daddy. We hope we get that winning lottery ticket. But how many of us on those things really have an expectancy? You live every day. You get up every day and you're certain that what you're hoping for is going to happen. I think for the most part, most, most people when they buy that lottery ticket realize that they're probably not going to win. The odds are strongly against them. So though they have the hope... They really don't have the expectation. And that's why when they find out they win, they start jumping and shouting and falling on the ground in the heart attack, having physical problems. <laughs> because the t- expectation wasn't there. If people were really expecting, they'd open the door and said, Oh, come on in, we were waiting for you. Right? There wouldn't be any shock or surprise because they would have expected it. So the biblical definition of hope is not only hoping that something you want to happen will happen, but it's to become so convinced of that thing that you're expecting it. In fact, you're looking for it. You go to the door every day and you look outside and say, where are they? How many of you have had somebody tell you they're coming over, So we'll be over in five minutes? Depending on the person you may have expectancy tied to that hope. There are people in my life who I know that they tell me they'll be somewhere in 15 minutes, that an hour later, maybe. I have an expectation, it's just not on what they said. See, the world wants to frame and shape our expectations. Remember I said that the world doesn't deal in hope i went this morning and i looked all over the internet i looked at the various news agencies to find their headlines the things that they are putting out there these are their, what they call in the news business they call bylines. they put these lines out there hoping you'll buy the paper want to snag your attention let's just talk about first the new york times The New York Times had these three bylines to select from. Missing soldier killed in battle, Israel confirms. Is that hopeful news? No. More bad news. U.S. nuclear deal with Russia is derailed as tensions rise. Is that quick and hope? Ooh, I feel better. Nope. Hope dwindles for Hondurans living in peril. Wow, let's have a party! Here's CNN.com, Communist News Network. Oh, said that out loud. Lord, I apologize. Russia locks on to U.S. spy plane. More tension. Glenn Beck's greatest regret. Glenn Beck's, I don't care what Glenn Beck thinks really, but why didn't they talk about Glenn Beck's greatest hope? Oh, they're going to talk about his greatest regret. That's the byline. 96 die, but the good news is they're mostly terrorists. NBC News, poll says, most voters say Congress, and I didn't, I had a typo and I didn't congregate, that's my own, yes, my uh, editor didn't catch that, says that Congress has been unproductive, well there's a huge shock, Not only is it not hopeful, it's like, duh. It's not even news. Deadly quake kills at least 50 in China. Well, they got too many people over there anyway. This is not over. Toledo water, still not safe to drink. Is there anything in these headlines, these bylines, that inspire and quicken hope in you? That's not in the paper, though. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's what it should inspire. See, I'm talking to a bunch of believers who know where their hope is. And we look past these by... In fact, I quit reading them. See, the newspaper... Remember that... And I'm, I say this often because you've got to get it. God has given Satan to be... In other words, he has given him authority. It is the word exousia, where you see power. It is the word authority... It means God has given him permission to come into the earth and to purvey his influence on the world and its systems. Our systems in our world are fashioned, formed, dictated by Satan. The press, the media, look at it. Do you find anything in any of the popular press, the popular media, that inspires true hope? Nope. The best hope they can give you is that there's a cure for cancer in the future. It's on the way. It's been on the way my whole life. But this is the best the world can do. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to forget that God has called us. I'm going to go back to Hold on to promises expectantly. Now, let's talk for a minute about promises. A promise is the word from one person or an agency, a company, saying that they're going to do something. We spoke a moment ago that in our lives we have people that say, I'll be over in 15 minutes. And some of you laugh because you have people in your life that you know you can't count on to do what they say. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. This is just an aside. But how important is it as a believer to live up to your word, even when it's something as small as that? It's it's really a big deal. It's really a big deal. See, remember, there's this thing, this message that I've never gotten the body of it to, but God gave me the title 30, 25 years ago, The Paradox of Small Things. God says, if you're faithful and little, I'll give you more. He says, in terms of the negative side, beware the little foxes that spoil the vine. So the little things in our life are those things that will either make us or break us. So how important is it for you to honor your word? Don't just throw it, I'll be there in 15 minutes, and have no real thought process. Can I even do that, first of all? Can I be there in 15 minutes? How many of you have waited for somebody, actually took them at their word? And you said, okay, I'll wait for you because I've got 30 minutes till I've got to leave. That'll give me 15 minutes for you. And then you wait and you wait and you wait and they don't show up. I've been guilty of doing this. I've been guilty. Oh, I'll be there in a little bit. Well, people have now learned to gauge my little bit as meaning something really big because a little bit turns into an hour or two. I've had to do that. But God started checking me on this. The promises that we make matter. The Bible says, Let your words be yes and no. Anything further is folly, the Bible says. And man, am I guilty of that. I have been so guilty of letting... The Bible says that we're ensnared by our words. How many of you say things like, Oh, that'll never happen. Or... I hear you got the sniffles. Yes, it's my summer cold. So every year I've got a little space in my life where I'm ready to receive physical infirmity. Yeah, this is my summer cold. Promises are only as good as the promise giver. How many of you have ever bought a product and said, What about the warranty? What about the guarantee? Well, the guarantee is only as good as a company. If the company's only been in business a year, I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in that warranty because I don't know if they'll be here next year. When you consider that the majority of businesses failed in the first year, very few make it. They say if you make it to the third or fifth year, I can't remember the actual statistic now. If you make it to the third or fifth year, you actually have a chance of being a long-term enterprise. So I'm not going to put my hope in a company that's a year old. When I buy the product, I'm going to buy it. No, I'm gambling here. But if I'm buying a refrigerator and I'm buying it from Sears, which is what my family always bought. My dad liked Sears products, which I found out later were made by Whirlpool and relabeled. Well, then if they give me a warranty, I'm going to expect, I'm buying that piece of equipment expecting that if something happens, They're going to honor what they say. So as I pay that price, I'm willing to pay that price because I know that along with it comes a certain degree of confidence that this thing is going to, if it doesn't perform well, that they'll take care of me. Why is it that I have that confidence? Because the company has been around for my whole lifetime and and more. And I've known other people who have owned these products, and if they've had the the problems, they honor their warranty. So the promise is only as good as the promiser. Now, a lot of people in the church, they have hope, but really it's the same kind of hope they had when they were in the world. They really want it to happen, but they're not living every day like they're expecting it to happen. I'm going to let you think about your own life. Think about your life. What do you hope for out of being a Christian? What are you hoping for? What is it you think is going to happen in your life because you're a Christian? This is really important. Think about it for just a minute here. Take a little time and think about Why do I continue? Why do I come to church? What am I really hoping? And get honest about it. Is it your sugar daddy? (laughs) Are you hoping that God will give you that man or that woman? Think about it. Because sometimes, folks, these become our focal points. In this modern era of Christianity and televangelism and the doctrine, the false doctrine of prosperity, we are inclined to believe that God is our sugar daddy. We come to Him like a spoiled child expecting Him to do what I want Him to do. And when He doesn't do what I want Him to do, then I may throw a fit, or I may quit. Either way, I'm an empty cloud that produces no rain, like the Bible says. I have no value to the world I have no value in the kingdom because I have misplaced hope. What is it? Think about it. What what is it that God hasn't done in your life and it really depresses you? It really brings you down. It causes you to doubt. What is it? And we all have them. What questions go unanswered in your life? God isn't Stepping up to the plate and doing anything about it. What is it? That's a hope that is not expecting anything but what you can see as the right answer. Maybe you have the right answer. Maybe what you are expecting from God is exactly right. But what about the timing? Maybe you have exactly the right... You, you have a biblical foundation for what you're expecting from God. I know I'm right on this. But what about the timing? See, I want to talk about this thing today. What is it that gives us the power to hold on to promises expectantly? What is it that gives you the power to hold on to a promise And expect that it's actually going to happen. Now, I'm not going to get into all the promises. The Bible is just full of promises for us. (laughs) We could—I don't even know them all, to be honest with you. I'd have to do a lot. But there, I I heard somewhere that there's over eight thousand promises in the Bible. Eight thousand promises that God promises His people in the Bible. But what is it? That will cause us to turn that from an empty hope to an expectant hope. Well, first of all, the most important thing is for us to know who it is that made the promise. Now, the reason I ask you to think about those promises in your life, the things you're expecting from God, let me first ask you this Where did you get that hope? Is that something God's promised? Is your hope based on something substantial? Or is it just something you want? Well, what's the difference? (laughs) Big difference. There's a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end of that way, or if you get what you want, it's just going to bring destruction and ruin. The Bible teaches that. There's a way that seems right to a person. But the end or the result of getting your way in that area will bring destruction and ruin. How many of you are glad that God says no to some of our prayers? I think I am. (laughs) I've had a lot of things not happen and I think I'm glad they haven't. Why? Because here's the key to being able to hold on to the promise expectantly. I have grown to understand and know the character of Of the one who gave the promise. Where does your promise come from? Does it come from this word? Does it come from God? If it does. Then the thing that will allow you and I. To be able to hold on to that promise. Actually expecting it. Is our knowledge. Of the character of the promise giver. So how well do you know God? How well do you know Him? Why is it important for us to purposely and intentionally relate to God? And in case you're wondering what that means, to purposely and intentionally relate to God means that you set aside time in your life to open up His Word, which is the revealed, uh, the revealed nature of God, and then you wait on Him, and you'll find in His Word that He'll tell you, the people who are mine, Jesus said, those who are my sheep, they know my voice. See, you open this Word, read it, process it, process it through this finite limited brain, mind, intellect, then... See, a lot of us stop there. We just take it into our brain and we try and process it naturally with our own intellect. Or we'll listen to other men and women who have a greater intellect than we. Someone that we really admire and we'll try and process... All we're doing, though, is still trying to process it through our intellect. But the Bible says that the things of God are foolishness to the carnal man. These things cannot be discerned naturally. To purposefully and intentionally relate to God is not only to read this word and put it in this brain, but then it is to wait on the Holy Spirit and actually expect feedback from God. That's a strange concept to many believers, that God would actually provide direction. Many of you have tried, and you get discouraged about it because you're not getting the kind of responses you were looking for. Don't quit. You're going to find that the responses that you're getting are things you've had your whole life, and you just went right by them because they were so simple. Well, I just thought that was me. No, it's not. Where did it come from? Did it come out of your mind? No. Most of the thoughts of God are going to seem random. They're going to seem out of the blue. But when you wait on God, He will actually speak to you. And there is something, folks, about connecting and relating to God that quickens an expectancy about His promises. Getting in His presence gives you hope. I've been around people who have uh, accomplished pretty... Amazing things. And I've seen them from a distance. I've seen what they do. I've seen the success they have. And you admire it. You think that it's wonderful. And, and uh, depending on who you are, it will make you want to press on or it will make you want to quit. But I've had the occasion to get in the presence of these people, especially men and women of God who are just fearless in their faith. Reckless abandon, it would almost seem, defines the way they approach their life in God. Reckless abandon. They just go for it. They've thrown everything else away to pursue their call in their life. And when you get in their presence, there's something that's different than watching them on TV or hearing their recorded messages. When you stand face to face with them, you shake their hand, you can sense and feel a power and an authority, an anointing that you don't get by reading their biographies or watching their videocast or listening to their recorded messages. And that's just a person that's just a person it's an entirely different thing to get in their presence i'll tell you i've gotten in the presence of some great people and it inspires well one time it was uh, it was my bass guitar idol his name is abraham Laboreal. one of the most recorded ste- one of the most recorded session bassists in history he got his big break from henry mancini this big movie um, oh, what do they call that thank you writes the scores for movies he got his big break on the movie uh, breakfast at tiffany's it's an old movie back in the 60s i think it is that's where he got his big break and ever since then he's been one of the most and he's a christian this is a guy that in a long way i'm not going to bore you with that story but god directed me to this guy because right at a point in my bass playing as a young young person i'd hit a wall but i wasn't going to go out in the world and play with see you got to get around good people You've got to get around people who are better than you to get better. You've got to find people who are pushing the envelope that will encourage you to push the envelope too. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. But I wasn't willing to abandon my place in the church and using the talents that God had given me so that I could make my talent grow. And I told God I'm not going to do it. I'd been asked from the time I was 12 years old to go out and play bass guitar for these some small but gospel quartet groups and things like that. And I just never felt right. And I asked God, why don't I feel right? And the reason why is because this is the place where God had planted me, in the local church. So as I prayed, God inspired and quickened, and I got connected to a group called Koinonia, and there I found a bass player who spoke to my sensibilities about music, the God-given sensibility about uh, playing the bass guitar that I was looking for. And many, many years later, just because God loves me the best, I'm sorry, Beverly, but God loves me best, just because I'm God's favorite, he gave me the chance to meet and go to Yoshi's in Oakland and watch this guy play on one of the greatest jazz platforms on the West Coast and to meet him and to sit in on their rehearsal and to record in studio with he and Alex Acuna. I mean, this is is a guy that God used to encourage me to go on because... I made a commitment not to leave the church. And I got to meet this guy. Well, in that occasion, I kind of felt like quitting. <laughs> it, didn't exist. it did two things. It, it, I was like, I want to hide. I don't ever want to play in front of this guy, ever. But at the same time, it made me want to, to push on and to, to achieve greatness. See, when we get in the presence of God, there is something there that calls us forward. There's something there that lifts us up. There's something there that causes expectancy now to become attached to His promises. When we get in the presence of God, and folks, that's why we need to enter into worship. You're waiting for worship to enter into you, some of you. No, you need to enter into worship. You need to close your eyes, open your mouth, and begin to sing to Christ. You need to shut off electronic devices. You need to get off your derriere, and you need to praise God, enter into worship. Because when we enter into... The Bible calls it very plain, the sacrifice of praise. I looked up sacrifice in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and the word sacrifice means sacrifice. It means giving up something that you don't really want to give up. Or giving up something that's going to cost you. It is called the sacrifice of praise. Why is it a sacrifice? Because I'm going to tell you what, folks. To praise God, to lift your voice, to clap your hands, you're going to have to put down your flesh, which is contaminated by sin. Don't you wait for praise to enter you. You enter into praise. And not only in church, but in your daily life. Praise Him. Lift Him up. To praise Him means to declare the characteristics of God. We need to rejoice in the glory of God. That's one of the things in the scriptures here that says we are to rejoice in the hope of His glory. The hope of His glory? What does that mean? The hope of His glory. His glory is His manifest kindness, goodness, all of the wonderful things that He is manifest to us. When the veil was torn, that glory was no longer contained behind a wall. That glory is now available to us all because of Jesus Christ and getting into His glory. It's a hopeful thing. When you get into His presence, when you experience His glory, we need it in this church, folks. Those of you who know the difference between a church where people are, and I'm going to use a word here, don't receive There's a phrase here, don't receive it wrong, don't receive it the old way, but it still is true, who are paying the price for the glory of God. There's a difference between being in a church where people, not the pastor, pastor plays his part, but where the people are paying the price for his glory, you'll see the sick healed. You'll see the oppressed relieved. You'll see those who are bound by sin set free. You will hear the anointing and the word of God come forth like you've never heard it before. Life-changing. Same church, same people, same month. But the difference is the preparation. When we get in the presence of God, things change. We need to praise Him. Most of us treat church like just another appointment on our calendar. It's not... It may be to you, and if that is your attitude, then you will get all that you expect. You will have used up another two hours of your life and gotten nothing more than having used up two hours of your life. But, if during your week, You have opened the Word of God and not only read it and put it in your brain, but then you waited on God to speak back in your life. There's going to be something stirring in you when you come on Wednesday and on Sunday, both services. You're all of a sudden going to be, oh, I get what the psalmist meant when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, the difference is just attitude. Attitude. The Bible says this: bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Who are you spending time with? Don't look at your husband and wife. And say, I knew it. No, that's not what I'm asking. Remember, folks, we're swimming in a cesspool. Impossible not to get dirty. We need to get out of that cesspool, be cleansed by the power and the presence and the blood and the word of God, and then jump back in this world again, and then we can take the goodness of the Lord, the the purifying work of his word and his blood, to a lost and dying world. You know why most people don't want to come to church? I we were we had a wedding here yesterday. Bryce Bearden and his now wife, Carol, got married. And I saw these young people here. And I listened. I just, I just was here. I didn't have much of a role to play because Carol, his grandmother, did the service. So I was just lending a support role for them. But I was listening, and, and these young people, they don't have a lot of hope. Or the kind of hope they have is they're hoping that somehow... You know, they're friends, and, these, and there's a, something about that generation. They believe in the truth, but they don't know what the truth is. They are longing for the truth, but they don't know where to find it. They're believing in long-term relationships because they've seen their parents' uh, marriages fail. They want it. They crave for it. They long for it. But they don't know. They're hopeful, but they're not very expectant. Where do you get that kind of hope that actually produces an expectancy and an optimism? Folks, where's our hope? What does the world see when they look at us? Do they see a downcast, hopeless individual? Someone constantly complaining for what God hasn't done rather than rejoicing in, in what He has promised He will do even if we die having not seen it in our lifetime. I know what it is to struggle against this kind of hopelessness because I've seen I've been in church all my life I'm a church brat I'm a PK I've been around people of the whole ladder high low (laughs) far near I've been around all kinds of Christians and I've seen a lot of good people preach the message of hope their whole my dad let's talk about him I've seen him preach the message of hope I've seen him lay his hand on people and God do miraculous healing and yet he leaves this world not conqu- without a physical miracle in his own body over, over um, lymphoma. That's a point where it can cause me to say, well, what's the point in hoping? See, the difference is I know my God. And when the enemy was sitting, and he does, and he did, not so much anymore, that he did sit on my shoulder and say, what about Stacy? What about your dad? What about this person? What about that person? Surely the world could have used them for more years of service as they were people who interceded for God, people who ministered for God. Why didn't God move on their behalf? Those questions will destroy your faith. They will destroy your confidence in the Lord. They'll destroy your hope. Unless you know the promise giver. Nothing shall by any means hurt me, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Where's your hope? I asked you earlier to think about the things that haven't happened. And let me ask you this. Are those things pulling you down? Are those things causing your faith to waver? Then you're focusing on the promise more than the promiser. You need to focus on the promise giver, not the promise. Remember I said we're good and we are maybe on good ground holding on to the promise that we're holding on to, but we're not good with God's timing. Hebrews talks about these pillars of the faith. said some of them believed and never got to see the promise. See, my dad was believing. He believed and was asking God for 80 healthy years. That was his phrase. I just want 80 healthy years. I want to be around for my... Children and my grandchildren. I'd love to have my dad around. Boy, I could use it. Seems reasonable. Doesn't seem unreasonable. He's not asking for 500 years. He's just asking for 80. I know a lot of people who've lived well past 80. People who, in my mind, didn't produce any hope for the world. And here is a man who believed in God and preached God. He's the one who gave me hope. I've heard so many lives that have been changed because of his faith and his willingness to accept the call of God and yet God takes him when he's 72. I don't get that. Then there's my sister-in-law, 33, when she died. Do you know what gets you past all that? is the fact, well, I know my God. (laughs) And though I don't understand, I don't understand. See, the other thing that you may not understand, for my sister-in-law, God gave me a faith. I was certain. There was, I had a faith, and I don't, this is another thing, that if I still care when I get to heaven, perhaps God will tell me, but I had a supernatural faith over a course of a year or more, and I was absolutely convinced. God gave me a bold faith. And I took that bold faith to believe. I took it. God never gave me a promise, but I had a faith. And I took that faith to mean that God was going to heal her and lift her up. When they finally made the decision to take her off life support, I was, everybody in the room was broken and down and crying. It was sad, but I was not sad. I was not sad. I was expectant. When that we started watching that the heart monitor and the, respira- the the measuring the number of breaths and the O2 levels and all that, I was expecting just to see—I don't care how far down it went—I expected to see it rise, and I expected to see her rise up out of that bed hole. But she didn't. That song that we sing from time to time called—it's actually called "When I Pray," but most people. I think that it's called I Find Grace. That song was born at 3:30 in the morning after she died. Because there are times when I feel overwhelmed and there's no one I can tell and I feel so all alone. But it's then I hear your spirit say that God has that God has made a way through Christ to come before his throne. By faith alone, I come before the Father, and I'm known. Hallelujah. By faith alone, we can go to the Father, and we're known. And guess what? We'll find grace, no matter what we need. The Spirit intercedes when we fall on our knees and pray. We find grace, no matter what we've done. Hallelujah, That's our God. See, the key to expectant hope is knowing the promiser. And I'm not talking knowing about him. you got to know him. How many of you like doing business on the internet better than being able to go to a local merchant? Somebody you can shake their hand, look in their eyes, And then buy their product or service. How many of you like doing that? The internet. You guys prefer the internet? How many prefer face to face? (laughs) Enough said. We need to do business face to face with Jesus. I think it's Numbers 44 said that God meets with his people face to face. Isn't that wonderful? See, I got a picture when I was working on some stuff trying to describe what God has birthed in me as far as the vision. And I recall God took me back to the very point of creation. How many of you remember that when it came to the earth that God did what? What did He do? Spoke. He spoke and the world, the stars and everything. He spoke and the animals. He spoke and the vegetation. He spoke and the seas receded. He spoke and light. But when it came to man, said he took that which was created by his word and formed it. He got up close and personal. He shaped Adam out of the dust. He didn't just speak the word; he could have. Adam, rise up, and Adam would no. But even in the very moment of creation. God didn't just speak at a distance. He got up close. He took out of the earth with His hand and said He formed Adam. How many of you have worked with clay play or Play-Doh? You get your hands dirty, don't you? Get right in there into the earth and you shape it. But then even more beautifully, it doesn't end there. The Bible says that then He breathed into Him life. How many of you have ever done or seen rescue breathing. That is up close and personal. But that's our God. From the very moment of creation, God didn't create man like He did everything else. He created us up close and personal. He breathed. He put His lips up to Adam's and breathed the breath of life. Come on, that ought to make you excited. He didn't do that with the animals. He didn't do that with the rest of creation. But when it came to man from the very beginning, God showed how he wanted us to, inter, uh, to interact up close. Inside our 18-inch comfort zone, man. God wants to be right there. How many of you ever had people who just, they're not happy unless they're, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. i want to talk to you. Get away from me. Oh. Yeah, honor the personal space. Mine's more like 24, maybe 36 inches. (laughs) Then there's those people that they they don't think that you're going to hear them. Hey, 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 hey. No, my ears work. Don't need that. (laughs) Yeah. Larry, get back a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know who I'm talking about. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) There's nobody here that has that problem. (laughs) But God, He can come in my space anytime. I love to feel the caress of His cheek against mine. One of the most intimate things that a husband and a wife can share is just the fact that they are allowed into that comfort zone. That comfort zone, by the way, is not some hypothetical ideal. It's real. It's been tested over and over again. We have a comfort zone. When people get inside that, and it varies from person to person, but there's a place where you get inside that and I haven't given you permission, my defense mechanisms go up, my blood pressure goes up, my awareness goes up, but there are certain people who have permission. In fact, not only permission, I look forward. Come on in here. There's enough space for the both of us. And that's the way it is with our Lord. From the very beginning when He created us, He created us in our face. He didn't just speak it. He touched us. He put His lips up to ours and He breathed life into us. And if we will get to know the promiser, we will hope expectantly. We will hold on to the promises of God With expectation. We won't just sit back and hope that perhaps maybe one day it'll happen. Every day we're going to go to the door and we're going to look. See, one of the things that is a sign of our time, the Bible says that people will say that, well, the Lord delays his coming. Things are just as they've always been, even the same as my grandparents. I heard my grandparents talk about the return of the Lord. And so, you know, they quit going to the door. The, ten wise and the, ten, or the five wise and the five foolish versions is a parable of some people who give up on their expectant hope. Folks, we have the promise of an expectant hope in Jesus. But our confidence and our ability to have that kind of expectation where we continue to look every day comes in knowing the promise giver. Amen? Let's pray. Just turn your hearts to God right now and talk to Him, will you?